Welcome to Reckoning, a podcast that explores gender-based justice, safety, survival, and resilience in the digital age through conversations with experts and advocates. I'm your host, Catherine Kosmetis, the founder and CEO of Garbo, a tech nonprofit building a new kind of online background check. Before we jump in, I'd like to warn our audience that we have raw, honest conversations about gender-based violence, which may be too much for some listeners. Please put your safety and health above all else when listening. Welcome back to another episode of Reckoning. Today, we have Lenora Clare here with us. Lenora, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, it's a really, really long story, so I'll try to condense it. Um, So let's see. I... Oh boy, um, I'm sort of best known as being an advocate and activist. That's because I'm a lucky person who's a multi-crime victim. Um, my story, the one that people sort of know publicly, uh, goes all the way back to 2011. And at that time, I was a really different person. I mean, weren't we all? Uh, I had opened up an art gallery and gotten a ton of press in LA where I live. And I'm not sort of, you know, hyping myself up. It's relevant to the story. But um, I was named one of the LA Weekly People of the Year, which was a great honor for somebody living in LA. And what I didn't know is a schizoaffective. And I have to say that uh, my dad was a psychiatrist, and I'm not trying to stigmatize the mentally ill. I don't think all mentally ill people are in any way dangerous, but this individual is. So I always have to sort of start there. But um, a schizoaffective man uh, with the birth, birth name of Justin Masler legally changed his name to Cloud Star Chaser, so we could use both names interchangeably, uh, had been stalking Ivanka Trump out in New York. There were multiple arrests. He um, tried to kill himself in her store, and you know there, there was a lot going on in there. But you know, 2011, I'm living my life in LA. I'm not aware of any of this. And so uh, he jumps bail, comes to LA, opens up the LA Weekly, sees me, becomes fixated on me. He comes to my gallery. And you know, when you have a high tolerance for art shenanigans, someone dressed in a spacesuit just seems like a, like a good time. So I engaged him in conversation and I could tell he was intelligent, but something was off. And then he looked at me and he said, you look like Jessica Rabbit. And I said, oh, okay, I hear that sometimes. And he said, and I'm going to stalk you. And at first I was just like taken aback. I was like, okay, weirdo. And I just kicked him out of the gallery. I didn't think much of it. You know, it was just sort of a weird situation. And then a couple of days later, a bunch of my friends started sending me links because, again, these are the 2011 Trumps, um, had hired bounty hunters to extradite him back to New York to stay on trial, where he eventually went to Rikers Island for stalking Ivanka. So it was at that point he started writing me, which were, which were originally just really nonsensical ramblings to my gallery. And I wasn't that alarmed. I was just like, okay, that's, you know, sad for this guy at this point. And then I no longer felt sad when they started to rapidly escalate to very graphic rape and death threats. And at that point, I took them to the police and the police said, well, you know, you would qualify for restraining order, but he doesn't live here. So no judge is really going to probably grant you one on those grounds. And even if they did, how are you going to serve this person? So I was like, okay, that's frustrating. So that went on for a couple of years and I began to sort of normalize it because that's really all you can do. Just these like, and when I say these are just horrific threats and they would come in rapid fire because part of being a schizoaffective, you've, you've got the bipolar. So the mania would come. So there would just be these like, just this barrage of, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rape you. I'm going to kidnap you. Just every form of media you could imagine websites about killing and raping me, all that stuff. So at that point I started to you know, go, okay, well, I have to do some things to protect myself. So 
Um, I learned how to do things like, you know, track his IP so I could figure out where he was in relation to me because this person comes from a wealthy family. So he would bounce around all the time. So, you know, if he was far away, I could breathe for the day. And if he was in California, I was terrified. So I I did that for a while. And then uh, he sent a pretty terrible death threat to my boss and mentor. At this point, I was working reality TV. And when you work in reality TV, you're you're typically freelance. So even if they like you and there's trouble, they just don't bring you back. They don't renew your contract. And, you know, especially everybody in the office sort of Googled my stalker and they saw that he had tried to kill himself in Ivanka's store. So no one likes workplace violence. You work in a casting place where people come in and out. So everybody was really terrified. So I, I lost my job. And I was, but I was mostly, I wasn't even, you know, thinking about myself. I was just so angry and upset. My boss, who I really loved and regarded as family, was getting death threats. So I went back to the police and I was like, you have to help me. I have a mountain of rape and death threats from somebody with a long criminal history. And that's when the Northeast Division of LAPD looked at me and said, oh, well, you should probably dye your hair so that, you know, he can't find you and get off the internet. That was their, yeah, that was their advice to me. So at that point, I was so angry. Um, can I curse? Is that okay? I was, okay. I was, I was just like, fuck this. I work in TV. This is some bullshit. So I hit up my friend, Billy Jensen, who's actually, it's so funny. Cause I've, I've known him since back when he was like a music writer with emo bangs, but now he's a really big name in the crime world. He was, um, one of the producers on I'll be gone in the dark and he's solved a bunch of cold case murders and he's done incredible work. But you know, at the time he was producing a show called crime watch daily. So I went to Billy who that was where I did my first media. And I was just like, this is crazy. This can't be. So that's actually a really big turning point for me because that TV appearance connected me with a woman named Rhonda Saunders. And Rhonda is a a legend in the world of stalking. She's so incredible. Um, She was the ADA at the time in 1989 when Rebecca Schaefer was murdered. And so she was very instrumental in getting California. And ultimately, it was the first in the entire country, uh, our first stalking laws. So Rhonda became this wonderful friend and sort of mentor figure to me. And it was at that point that I started going, wait, these laws have barely been updated since I got passed in 92. We live in an entirely different world. This is crazy. So I started coming up with ideas for legislative proposals, which led me through my friend, Polly Perrette from NCIS to introduce me to Congressman Adam Schiff, who at that point, this is before he was, this is 2015, early 2016, before he was head of House Intelligence Committee and, you know, congressmanship. So he was my local congressman and he was wonderful. And we'd like, you know, meet on Sundays and go over stuff. And he took my proposals to DOJ. So all the stuff is going on and I'm getting, you know, angrier and angrier as I'm realizing that this is what people, this re- I'm sitting here going like, I'm, I have all this privilege and like, it still sucks. Like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a common thing. So then um, I, there was an article that was written about me. I want to say, came out maybe early 2017 called called me the Aaron Brockovich of stalking. And that was another big turning point for me because that article went viral. And at that point, people started coming to me for help. And so I was, you know, pulling trackers off cars. I was helping people get restraining orders. I actually just did my 99th restraining order the other day. So that I'm kind of proud of that. I told myself I would stop counting at 99 because it's not like a frozen yogurt punch card. But I was like, once I know I've, I've done that, like I, I've done a lot. So I started doing restraining orders. I started doing human shield in court for people because if you've never had to go through the court process, people don't realize that you were there with the offender, you know, all day. There's nobody, you know, and I, I always have to tell the story about a woman that I saw. I was helping someone else get a restraining order. And I saw a woman who looked to be about my age holding a baby with two black eyes. Right. And so I see the offender. I don't know if he's her boyfriend, husband or whatever. And he kept turning around and mad dogging her until eventually she just ran up and left. 
And I just thought to myself, like, I, this cannot be. So that's when I started doing Human Shield. And I actually get a lot of, um, you know, survivors to come do it with me because it's really empowering to like be like, turn around, asshole. You know, you got like a whole gang of girls around someone. So I started doing that. And so, yeah, so Aaron Brockovich goes viral and then people start coming to me and I'm like literally every day. And I just started figuring at first, you know, you go through those like imposter syndrome things. You're like, well, I'm not law enforcement. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not this. But at the bare minimum, you know, I'm someone who's gone through it. I can be an understanding, empathetic ear. So at the bare minimum, I'll provide them something where maybe they're well-intentioned friends who like want to give them good advice, but haven't actually experienced it. Like maybe I can help them in that way. But then I started to realize, no, actually, I, I'm able to give people really useful information, whether it's how restraining orders work or how to navigate law enforcement, the judicial system. So then we start filming our 48 hours episode, which was a two hour special on stalking. And so as we're filming it, it was myself and three other women. And while we're filming it, 48 hours decides without telling me to interview my stalker, which I have the thing nobody has, which is our stalker acting completely batshit totally like because before this every time I had done media people would look at me and go that girl just wants attention and it's like are, are you kidding me I've, I've been on tv on and off since I was five I'm not someone lacking for attention this is not what's happening here so as soon as 48 hours interviews him and as soon as they see that footage they send it to someone who's now a good friend of mine this legendary uh, forensic psychologist Chris Mahondi he was like forensic psych on OJ and he's got a great book if anybody he did the largest study of stalkers in North America he interviewed a thousand of them so if you really want to understand a psychology behind stalking, like he's, he's the man, you should really look into his work. But so Chris sees the footage and goes, Oh, this one's right. He's a danger. This is, this is absolutely, she's at risk. So 48 hours actually did more for me than the LAPD did at that point. And they got him picked up in Utah and he was put into a psych facility, which was exactly what I wanted. You know, I was like, that's the perfect solution. This is great. So, you know, for the first time and what's at this point now, five, almost six years, I'm finally not getting. So the other thing, my stalker, because I'm Jewish, so he swings, right? On one side is where the erotomania is, where he thinks we're in a relationship and he's in love with me and I'm his wife and whatever. And the other side is because I'm Jewish, I'm the leader of a Zionist conspiracy. So he has to gas me through my door with Zykon B, which is what killed my relatives in the Holocaust. So imagine trying to sleep, you know, in your life. It's, it's, I still have insomnia probably for the rest of my life. But yeah, I sleep issues are really bad for me. But so he's in the psych facility and I'm finally like, whew, I can sleep or breathe. This is wonderful. And then right at that point, that's when Trump wins the election. I'm devastated. All my friends are devastated. It's about a week later. I'm walking my dog and I'll never forget this moment because I'm literally like picking up the dog poop. Right. And that's when I get a call and it was Secret Service and LAPD. I mean, like, okay, okay, what? Um, and Secret Service was calling to inform me that my stalker had actually escaped from the mental facility because he's like the Joker from Batman. And um, he was on the loose. And because I always jokingly say that I was the one person to benefit from the Trump presidency because I won the stalking lottery and that now I share a stalker with his daughter. So now people kind of have to give a shit about my case, right? So that's when they, they called me and I, I thought, oh my God, oh my God, I, he knows I put him in there. Like, this is terrible. But then I thought, no, wait, you know what? He's going to be so hyped on Ivanka right now. And that's exactly what happened. He was caught a block away from Trump Tower when he wasn't even allowed to be in New York. So then I'm thinking, okay, great. He's going to get some real time. Like, we're good. Unfortunately, New York has really garbage stalking laws. And I think you have one of the worst in the entire country, actually. He got out very shortly after, and then he came to LA actively looking for me, telling me he was going to kidnap me. He actually called my dog groomer, tried to kidnap my dog. 
Um, at that point, I, I had just started, it was 2017, I just started dating my now husband. And so luckily he's a lawyer who works in entertainment. So he's used to crazy things. But like, of course, he starts calling, you know, my husband's law firm. He goes to where I get my eyelashes done, leaves notes, scares all the women. Like it's just, it's just so intense and awful. And I'm, I'm doing as much as I can to help other people, but like nobody's helping me, you know, like I'm just like, I'm like, I'm guess I'm just asked to the wind here figuring it out. So then my stalker writes me and says, I know you attend LA Comic-Con. I'm going to kidnap you from there. So at this point, I had actually been talking, Kim Kardashian had these like really cool ex-Massage security guys at the time because he was stalking Kim Kardashian as well. And so I thought for sure they were going to catch him. I was like, nobody is tougher or like those guys will do it. And that's not what happened. What actually happened was I set up an operation with LA Comic-Con and we hired extra security dressed as Batman and Superman because we didn't want to scare the kids. Everybody was safe. This is all, I want to say they did a great job. And sure enough, when he came to kidnap me, we caught him, Batman, Superman, held him down and then waited for LAPD to come and pick him up. And that's what happened. So LAPD picks him up and then you can see it if you if anyone Googles, Kim Kardashian gives her restraining order, which we knew. And then out of nowhere, to my surprise, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, gives a restraining order. I, I don't know. the I, I have to be very careful because I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened with him and her children. I've heard that like he went to the school. I just have to be careful. Again, I'm married to a defamation attorney, so I'm like very careful with my language. But it, something something went down with him and the kid enough to merit a restraining order with Gwyneth Paltrow. So. Then it took a year, right? So he's like in holding for a year. Nothing happens. People think justice moves quickly. It doesn't. So I did all my own discovery. Again, everybody thinks my, my lawyer husband did it. I'm like, no, he's making his high rate per hour. He's working on that. I'm the one doing this. I'm learning, I'm learning how to do it all by myself. So then I got him on felony stalking max, which is really as good as it gets. The unfortunate thing is, so in California, felony stalking max is four years. However, we had a proposition 57 which was very misleading. And I see how people voted for it because it was sort of put out there as nonviolent offense, offenses get early release. So any sensible person hears that and you're like, oh, weed, like whatever, I don't care. What they don't explain to you are the crimes that California considers nonviolent, which include rape of an unconscious person, forced sodomy, human trafficking, hate crimes, stalking. So my four years instantly became two. Yeah, he got out in December. He was within three days making YouTube videos on me. Uh, he's gone back in several times. Actually, yesterday he started calling my nonprofit. It's he's he's wearing an ankle monitor, but like this is ten years of my life. So just to break down some statistics with stalking, you know, they the CDC and you know these crimes are always underreported, but they say it's seven point five million Americans, and I'm in the three percent anomaly where it's a stranger. Usually, it's intimate partner with like domestic violence overlap. That's more common. That's that's what you normally see, but with this situation, you know, also another stalking statistic is, and we're in stalking month, so, you know, people people should be, should be really, all this information should be hopefully getting out there. They usually last about two years. Mine, I'm on year 10. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the, that's the sort of, that's the average. Again, I'm always extra, so here I am at my 10 years, and I have friends who are 15 and more, so there's there's a lot of reasons for that and a lot of factors, but so I'm still dealing with it. I, I always say it's not done until one of us dies. I, I truly believe that. But it's become a real mission for me to 
sort of, this can't be for nothing. You know, if I explain the things I've lost in my life, I used to own art galleries. I can't do that anymore. I can't be this public person where anyone can just, I can't do that. So it's completely altered the course of my life, but just how I live, you know, I, I pivoted to other things, much, much like yourself, you know, you go through some stuff and you're just like, I, this can't be for nothing. I have to help other people. So now I'm involved with the creation of a nonprofit that we just launched. It's called Victim Advocacy Project. And, you know, I sort of handle restraining orders, the human shield stuff. And then Melissa handles victims compensation, which for people who are not familiar, victims compensation, almost every state has these programs. But in California, for example, if you're a victim of a violent crime and you have all this sort of proper documentation, you can get $5,000 of therapy, $2,000 to relocate if the crime happens to your, in your house. And up to $70,000 if there's violent, awful injuries sustained and you need medical care. So there's a lot of programs that, let me tell you, nobody told me these things existed. You know, it wasn't until I sort of got into the advocacy side that I found this for myself. So we just kind of wanted to do that. And I'm actually also working right now on creating, we don't know if it's going to be a pack or an alliance, but it's going to sort of work on the legend. Because you got to, people don't understand, it's like Ghostbusters. You can't cross the streams. Nonprofits can't be political. And I'm, that's very much where my passion is right now, because it's, it's either prevention, which is where, where you come in, which is why when I met you, I was like, just so excited. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. So it's, you know, there's a prevention. And then if the prevention, you know, if you didn't have that, which a lot of us, a lot of us don't, and the, a crime occurs, then now we need to make, strengthen the laws because that's the necessary step. So that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. What a, a journey you've been on. And the fact that it's been a 10-year journey and so life-altering. I think that's what people don't realize is how life-altering stalking and harassment can be. You don't get to live the life that you had planned for yourself. And that's something that I personally experienced of like, I had my life. I was a director of marketing. You know, everything was going good. And then it happened to me and I, you know, lost my job. I had to pivot into consulting so he couldn't find my clients because he would email any clients that he possibly found. And, and so I had to be really quiet. And, and this is not the life that, that I wanted to live. And as you said, when you take your pain and, and do something with it, a lot of people are either fully on your side and understand it. And most of the time they're, they're victims or survivors themselves where you do get those people who are like, you're all doing it for attention and press. And I'm like, there is no, and, and my abuser says the same thing, that this is all attention, that I'm trying to be a Me Too character and get my Hall of Fame sticker, I guess, and 15 minutes of fame. And I'm like, yes, I totally plan for you to stalk and harass me for years just so I could become famous. Like, the logic, the logic. But something that, that you bring out there is the power of media. And I think that is so true where the legal system lets you down over and over and over again and can't prosecute or like New York has the worst stalking laws ever. The power of media can come in and tell your story and tell what happened to you. And therefore that becomes a public record in and of itself. And that's documentation of the crime itself, which is so important. It's that paper trail that, that people must build. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I actually, to be, I always be really honest, I've no nothing to hide here. 
I'm positive that it was my appearance on 48 Hours and the media that came after it. I do Dr. Oz and all, you know, all the talk shows and everything. And that's what got my case elevated. So LAPD does not have like a stalking unit that doesn't exist, but they have the TMU, the threat management unit, which is stalking for celebrities. No one told me about this until I was on TV and making a big, you know, it's like I got the best LAPD had to offer. Oh, it's like, it's like, wait a second. So celebrities who live in gated communities who have security guards and access to all these things, they get the special unit. Okay, great. That makes a lot of sense. And, And, you know, the other thing that we, when we talked before was we both recognize that we are sitting on mountains of privilege, right? Like we were able to, you know, what about everybody else who isn't able to pivot into other careers or, you know, it's like we're white women who will get media, you know? And so that's why I always say, I have to be twice as loud for everyone who can't because the other thing specifically with with like my story is I have that disconnect because this is not somebody that I was in a relationship with. So I'm just like, he's a crazy man. I have that weird like emotional barrier. It's so much more complicated when because I've also experienced DV too. So I've seen both sides. They're they're very different. And so, you know, a lot of times, like let's just say you're a woman who's got a child with this person. You you got to deal with custody no matter what they did to you, and that is so brutal. And so that person can't come forward for obvious reasons. So I just I recognize that all these things lined up for me that I'm in a position where I'm just like, okay, I'm media trained. I work in TV. Like I know how to do this. I'm just going to be really really loud for everybody. So yeah, the me- the media is a a def- like even today like I, this morning I'm turning in an uh, an op ed for LA Times. The, anyone who gives us a platform, I'm I'm just so appreciative of because especially stalking, I really think it's where sexual assault was in the 70s, just the lack of understanding. And like the only time that you usually hear stalking stories are when they're celebrities. And like, we don't relate to that, you know, when you're just like, oh, this thing is happening to Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, what does that have to do with me? So anytime I meet and connect with other survivors like yourself, I'm always just like, it's so awesome to see, you know, people. It's not awesome that we're like sisters in this like really fucked up sorority, but it's amazing. And I'm just that's why that's why when we connected, I was like, I was very excited to meet you. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And and like you said, it's using that privilege. Like I always say that's really how I found Gar because I was sitting in a courtroom and I'm like, I'm white, I'm educated. I am, you know, attractive in, in all sorts of concepts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I have access to $150,000 to defend myself. What the fuck is it like for the average person? The average person doesn't, can't do any of this. They have to just like hide and run and try and get new devices. And, and the police are, are useless, especially, you know, when it comes to this, you know, not in-person stalking, like cyber stalking and things like that, where it sounds like that's kind of where yours started was he saw you and then started sending letters and things like that and and then showing up in person. And that's how it's escalating now. And, and like you said, people don't understand stalking. They don't understand that, you know, cyber stalking is not just a red flag. It is stalking in and of itself. And it is dangerous and it's scary and it's it puts you on an emotional roller coaster and then it escalates because these folks always escalate into, into additional bad behaviors and it escalates into actually showing up in person. And my abuser had access to my calendar. That's how he was finding out who I was hanging out with. He had must have given itself when we were in the relationship. He was adding everyone that I would talk to on LinkedIn and email them. And then he would show up in a few places that I was at. And luckily I was always with another person because I was scared at, all, at the time. 
No, it's very crazy how, how it escalates. And it, and it usually starts with something small, those kind of red flags in a typical st- stalking situation. Yours is much different. But in a typical stalking situation where it is usually a, a partner or a scorned lover or something like that, there are all of these red flags leading up to it. And, and that's from, you know, having access to your cell phone and wanting your passwords to everything and then having to turn on your location. These are all things that I personally experienced. And looking back, I'm like, wow, I should have seen this coming, but it's sad that, you know, I was 22, 23 years old when, when this was how I was a baby and I had no idea of the legal system. And the only reason that my, you know, you said the media helped you get attention of the police and things like that. Mine was, you know, I somehow got connected to the mayor's head of security and they called in a favor. And that's insane that you have to know someone who knows someone who knows someone to seek any sort of justice. And anyone I've talked to, it's the same story. The only way that they received any sort of justice, I put it very loosely, is because they knew someone. And that's the system that we live in. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened with me. As I mentioned, you know, my friend Polly was the star of NCIS at the time, like one of the top TV shows. She's who connected me to Congressman Schiff. That's who got me the deal. Like, who has a TV star friend that gets them to a congressman to get like, what? that's like so insane. It's so insane. That is, that is not, that isn't, no, that is, that is completely unacceptable. And, you know, one of the things that I just really love that you're doing is I have so much interest when we talk about cyber stalking and all the way that tech is used against us, which is usually, you start to fear tech, but it's like, no, no, no. So now we can have all these great things like Garbo and everything else where we can make tech work for us. So one of the things that I'm trying to propose here at the LADA's office is, you know, for example, my stalker has an ankle monitor on him because the new DA really wants to push away from incarceration. So if that's what it, what it's, look, that's a whole other discussion, right? Like I'm against unnecessary incarceration, but there's some individuals that you want to remove their threat from the community. Those are completely separate things. Like how are we not able to differentiate stupid petty shit and then people who are going to kill you? Like it's really pretty clear to me, yeah. but Apparently, it's not so clear to everybody else. So what I want to do is I want to create a program where, you know, we already have ankle monitors on these individuals. Why can't I have an app that texts me if he's in proximity, giving me warning? We have GPS on our phones. And so that's why, like, right now, my interest is is linking up with people like yourself, you know, and you're, like, the ideal person for me to meet with because it's, like, you're a survivor who's coming up with solutions with tech. So I was just, like, that's amazing. And I, I know there's others out there, and, like, that's, that's what we all need to be doing is supporting each other and and doing this. But I did link up with that company, Flare, the one that makes the bracelets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll be doing like some giveaways and stuff with them. They're interesting too. Like the way their thing works is it's Bluetooth connected to your phone with the bracelet. So you have to be within 10 feet for it to work. But you push a button and, you know, if you're in danger and it alerts five of your friends of your GPS. So, you know, there's there are interesting things that I mean, you know more than me. I, mean, I should let you talk about this. I want to hear what what are you seeing with tech that you're finding that's exciting for victims? I, I love it. It's it's taking that power back, which, t- like you said, tech is seen as this dangerous thing, especially for victims. And you're told just, just get a new computer, get a new phone or, or whatever it is, or log off the Internet. You know? right. uh, yeah. Dye your hair, as they said, for you. You know, it's just crazy. 
Um, and so to, to be able to use tech for good is so empowering right now. And I'm seeing so many amazing things. And like you said, what's great about this community is that we're all supporting each other. There's no competition here. We're all just trying to build better solutions to, to this major problem. So obviously Garbo is on the prevention side of, of things. And we believe in, in access to information, access to public records and reports, knowing about that someone has a history of stalking or violence or whatever it may be, uh, is very, very powerful because then you can make informed decisions about your safety. So I'm all about prevention, but there are other solutions out there that are um, somewhat focused on prevention. I just saw this new app that's crowdfunding. I'm blanking on the name of it, but they're on iFundWomen right now. And it's this app to help you warn of red flags in relationships and see if your relationship is dangerous. Because I think a lot of times we question, is this a red flag? Is this dangerous? So there's that. Uh, Callisto, I'm a huge fan of, of their work. They are like a, a registry where anyone can put in what happened to them. It's locked. It's in a vault. No one can gain access to it. But if someone else reports the same abuser, you two are linked to a counselor and then you have options, an options counselor that you can go to the police, go to the media, you know, because it's the power of two people reporting versus just one person reporting. So huge believer in that system. There are some other ones coming up as well. And like you said, the rings and the, the jewelry that's happening is, is innovative. You know, I, I 50-50 see... Sometimes it, it leads to the whole, oh, an abuser is that dark person in an alley versus someone that you know. And so that's my thing with the jewelry is, is like, I see it like if you're in a bad situation and your abuser is screaming at you, being able to just to press a button and, and call 911 versus trying to pick up a phone and call 911 is powerful. And so there's just so much amazing tech. And I think it it's this movement to use tech for good. And it's all being, what I love is that all of this technology is being built by survivors. And that's what's key, you know, is because we understand mm -hmm. and we understand the, the nuances of this, like building out Garbo's platform, you know, public records also contain victims, identities and things. Right. And so how do you balance wanting to protect the victim with having this be a public record and so, you know, we, we've we thought a lot about what information we put on the platform, what we don't put on the platform, things like that, to, to ensure that we're thinking of everything that we possibly can to make sure that this really is tech for good, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's a... Uh... The, that's the thing that keeps me going right now, right? Besides the community, but just just seeing that there's so many smart women and working together, and you know, if, if we're fighting these very broken systems, then we're just we're just going to come up with some solutions on our own. Exactly, exactly. If the system isn't going to work for us, we're going to work the system essentially, mm -hmm. and and we have to do that because it doesn't work. It's yeah, and we see it time and time again play out. And again, the only privileged, like only privileged people actually see any benefits from the system. And, and so that's one of my questions is what is the most frustrating part about the legal system to you? Okay, I, many things. I'll say right now in Los Angeles, so LAPD, because of budget cuts and choices, they just completely dismantled their sex crimes unit. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we don't have that anymore. So it doesn't mean they're not investigating. They just shuffle you off to people who don't have the training and you're not a priority to them. So from the jump, right, from the intake, you're screwed. Then if you're fortunate enough, because, you know, 
like with sexual assault too, there, there was that map, I don't know if you saw it, that was just put out about where the actual places to do rape kits are. I was appalled when I saw how few there were in Los Angeles. There's like four. Wow. You can't just go to any ER and ask for one of those kits. So if we're talking about this like umbrella of crime, it's like, let's just start with the intake just to get the basics. So if we're talking about like sexual assault, you, you don't, from the law enforcement side, you're not getting specialized people who understand you. Stalking, nobody gets stalking. You know, I mean, how many times I can tell you stories of people that I know who are very much at risk who, you know, the desk cop just goes like, oh, it's shit talk, you'll be fine. It's like, excuse me, sir, are you trained to evaluate this? Or they actually, a lot of places have, it's a program called Mosaic, which is just like a risk assessment tool. And it's very biased. And it's like, it's never so, oh, so you punched them, you didn't listen to me in the first place. And then you punched some shit that wasn't really even accurate into a computer to tell me that I'm going to be fucking fine. Like, are you kidding me? So yeah, so it's really gnarly. Um, So it's the lack of education from people that we need to even help us and evaluate when a credible threat is actually happening versus just someone being mean to us on the internet. You know, it's like you need to have those things in place. But as far as my personal frustration with the judicial system is that the laws are trash, that they were written so long ago before the internet. 1992? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that is not our world. And you know, it's, these laws are largely written by white men who don't understand. And so you have to craft the language in a way that like, there's a story, something about with the first laws are being made that, you know, they had to come back and like, in the language, it was, I think it was something like, credible threat and threats of sexual violence. And they're like, no. And then the next year, they just changed it to like, credible threat and threats of body harm. And the men were like, I fear body harm. I don't fear rape. You know, it's like, like what? Like so every step along the way, it's, it's just, you're literally challenged every step along the way. So that's why I always say you have to be your biggest advocate because the only reason why I got, and, and two years is that I've, I'm serving a life sentence over here. He served two years, right? But yeah. the only reason I even got those two years, which in that time I got to have my wedding, which was just to say to people, like, I can have a wedding where I'm not afraid that he's going to kill me right afterwards. Lucky me. It's just that you have to keep just like being loud and pa- like I was turned away by police so many times and the crime was the same. It wasn't like the crime was like later elevated. It was like, no, it was always, I was always at that same level of risk. So I don't even know how to answer that question. I get so fired up and pissed off. There's, there's so many problems. <laughs> There's so many things wrong. There's so many things wrong. And it, and like you said, it starts from the intake of re- trying to report a crime uh, all the way down to trying to get someone convicted and even what their conviction is. Because like you said, that it automatically gets cut in half and those those crimes are not seen as violent crimes. It's crazy. And I think more women like yourself need to be writing this legislation and need to change it from the inside out. Or else we're, we're just going to continue seeing this trend. I don't know if you saw the recent headline of Columbia reinstating the guys. He was found guilty of sexual assault on campus. And they gave him like an undisclosed amount of money and gave him his degree back. Because he was one of these like me too, him too people. And I think as if we don't prosecute if we don't hold people accountable for their actions, accountability is like a fundamental key word here at Garbo. If we don't hold people accountable for their actions, we're only going to see more of this happen and people continue to push the line until, I mean, it's already an epidemic of how many women are murdered by stalkers and things like that. And it's only going to get worse, I think. It's only going to get worse unless there's people like you trying to change it. 
Totally. And then we could also talk about the parallels with everything going on with what just happened at the Capitol. It's that same, it's like, I was saying, it's like as if Trump is looking at the country as as a woman, like, if I can't have her, nobody can. It's that same sort of like entitled violence. It's a culture of that. And so it's like, if men don't understand it on the level of what's happening to us, we need to make them understand it when you allow this culture to exist. That's what it grows into. Yeah. I saw those men and I'm just like, I, I know all of you. I know. I, I know what kind of dude you are. And like, I took this class this summer. It was taught by Reed Malloy, who's amazing. He's another like top, top, top profiler. And it was on extremism and terrorism. And I took it because there was a section on incels. So I was like, that's very relevant to the work that I'm doing. But as I sat and listened to this, you know, this incredible course, I was like, no, there's so many. So, I, mean, I always joke and say like, yeah, now I'm actually certified to say bad white men are very bad. This is true. I I do hold I do hold a paper that says that. But it's it, there is a huge huge connect between all of that. So I think people really need to examine what that means. That entitlement, that ownership, that you know, not getting exactly not being accountable for your violence and just what what this spirals into. So it's it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, no, it it's it is terrifying, and and the only thing that kind of gives me hope is people like you, people even like myself, like being my biggest advocate has been the hardest thing, but it's the, the only thing that I have at the end of the day is my myself. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. When did you start naming your abuser, like naming him out loud and saying his name? Oh, I oh, okay. So most people, they choose, most people don't want to do that, right? But because my case was always weird because he had already been stalking Ivanka and other celebrities. So his name was already named. You know what I mean? And as a matter of fact, um, like Daily Mail did an article without even talking to me because they pulled up court records. Yep. And you're close to the same thing to me, actually. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. I never had a choice. And I, as soon as I realized it's like, if I was said like, oh, a crazy man is being crazy to me, then whatever. But if I was like, Ivanka Trump's crazy man, everyone's like, oh, I'd like to tell me more, you know? So, so that was, that worked for me. It's weird. I'm like really into stuff, but then also like, really like, I can't, I can't figure out how to make that not go there. <laughs> but yeah, for a lot of people, just the name is triggering and, and they, and also for some people putting the name out there puts them more at risk, right? Because then that person, so it's, a lot of the choices that I made are not right for everybody. And that's why, you know, I really feel like, look, whether it's sexual assault, stalking, reporting is not right for everybody. It is for most. Like you have to, everything's case by case. We're all individualized. You have to look at the great, you know, I personally am a fan of restraining orders. I think they're a necessary tool, but there's other people who are really against them. And I have to respect that if that's what they feel is their choice, you know? It's, yeah, I just hate the idea of this like one size fits all anything for such individualized problems. But yeah, you bring up a good question about the the naming. It's like, I really, I didn't have a choice. It was, it was there. But I will tell you a funny thing related to the name is that his, his legal name was Cloud Star Chaser. I think he's going back to Jessa Masler. So every time I was in court, they'd be like Star Chaser versus Claire. And then like everybody in the court would look at me and I'm just like, and then Ivanka Trump, and then everyone just in the court just thought, I'm like, I'm not the crazy one. I'm actually not. So, yeah. No, that's crazy. It's crazy. I, you know, I go back and forth. I have yet to, the New York Post article did name him uh, without, because they just searched court records. And the, literally the day I sued him civilly, the next day, this New York Post article was out without talking to me or anything like that, my lawyers, et cetera. 
And he countersued me based on that article because it named him publicly. So I have never personally named him. Uh, I've made that choice because I am in a lawsuit right now uh, against him. Well, I sued him and he countersued me. And anything that I say, even this podcast will be used against me. Everything that I say is, is used against me in court. And I think that, you know, uh, one day I do hope to be able to say his name because I think naming is accountability as well. And if, if no one knows his name, how do you know to stay away from him unless you have access to public records easily and, and can see his past history of, of behavior? And so, no, it's, it's a very personal, very individual choice. And a lot of people on the flip side, like, like me, are being sued for defamation when they do name their abuser. And that's what's insane to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I see a lot of abuse of the civil courts because for people who don't understand, like, say you have a restraining order, you can't sue that person. But if you sue them in civil court, you can. So I see these like bullshit lawsuits. I have a friend. I'll leave her name out of it, but she had so many bullshit lawsuits against her from her ex that she got him named a vexatious litigant in California. He can't sue anybody. Wow. Because of how many, like he literally, I think she told me that one of the times he sued her, he was like, I was thinking about you and I, and I tripped on the sidewalk and I hurt myself about how mad I was. I'm like, really, sir? But he would do that because he would get off on seeing her in court and just having that sort of awful interaction. So yeah, the, the abuse of the civil court is a, a real fun tool that I, I'm, I'm convinced they like all must be going on Reddit or 4chan and figuring out how to like work the system because the, I, that is a trend that I'm seeing that I didn't used to see. And even I swear to God, like he, so my abuser got classes. He had to take some classes to not stalk me anymore, essentially. And I swear to God, all these classes taught him was how to be a better stalker. Because he came out of it and he started doing way more gray area stuff. And it's like, are you guys talking to each other in the hallway? Like, how do you know to do this kind of stuff? It's it's insane. But I swear to God, they have some sort of playbook that they all use because all abusers' tactics are also the same. There, There's a playbook of red flags. There's a playbook of mania. There's, like you said, that there's a forum or something that all of these people are on because it's similar. Yeah. Talking about naming, there is one group I won't say their name because I actually am scared of them, but they're a particularly terrible men's group. And I ended up uh, at one point on a rape list. They put a bunch of forward thinking feminists and they tried to dox us. I was good at concealing my identity. But what I want to do is I want to treat them like the terrorists that they are. You know, it's like they are an organized hate group, you know, and the hate group that they hate is women. Like, why are incels not treated that way? So, yeah, these, they are fucking terrifying. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I was very naive to the world before all of this happened to me. I was young and I was bright eyed and bushy tailed. And then reality kind of hits of how insane some people can be and how far they will go to hurt you and, and try and ruin your life. And yeah, I never, never realized how crazy some people are until it happened to me. Yeah, I always, my friend Catherine, who's also in the 48 hours with us, her stalker, who's her ex, he decided to live in his car, whatever the amount of restraining order feet it was, you know, he lived, he like measured out a thousand feet or whatever, and then lived in his car right there. Like that is like, that's like, what is that? That is, yeah. And and he also put a tracker on her car. It, like, 
I, I tell people too, don't click on suspicious links. You know, they can get into your GPS. There's, you know, uh, I just, I, it's so hard. Like I just, I, it's, it's, but I also, one thing I always do like to sort of tell people, I am in an, an amazing marriage. I love my husband so much. And I always tell people because I have been sexually assaulted. I've been through domestic violence and I had a stalker unrelated to it. Right. So I've just, just a, a whole lot of trauma that I've, you know, worked through, but you can have happy endings. You can have healthy relationships, you know, and when you're, especially when you're going through these things, you're like, I'm never dealing with any, like, I just get, stay away from me. And I definitely had that window of time, but I just, I always have to say like, there are good partners out there. There are ones who can, you know, understand your trauma and know how to be a good partner to you and have loving, healthy relationships. So if you would have told me that when I was in the thick of what I was going through, I never would have believed it, but like, here I am. So yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is. And, you know, I, I do believe in trying to take every situation and make it the best that it, it can be and learn from it and grow from it. And if you can, like us, you know, use that pain to prevent the next crime from happening or the next thing from happening, you know, use it to make a change within, within the system. You know, we all have power and I think we forget that as victims, but collectively we are changing laws, you know, and, and things are happening and, and, and there is movement. And so, you know, I, I just really want to thank you for all of the, the work that you're doing and that you've taken, you know, your broken heart and all of the crazy shit that has happened to you and said no more. Right back at you. I mean, that's, it's like respect. Like it lo- I love it. It's uh, like I said, when, when our mutual friend connected us, I was just so, I was just so excited because every time it's like, especially when you're being stalked, it's such a weird isolating existence, you know? And even if you have a good support system, if they haven't been through it, it's like, you just, you can't relate. So it's so incredible to just have, have these relationships and, you know, just so, so yeah. So similarly, thank you. But also like on a personal, like this, it's, it's really cool to like ha- have that sort of network of people. It's awesome. So true. So true. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with today? Any like lessons, any, Ooh. uh, I'm sure it's going to come to me as soon as we're done. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like we, we covered a lot, we did. We but you know, if, if anybody, you know, if anybody needs help with this stuff, I'm super accessible. They can find me through my website or social media or through the nonprofit, which is vaphelp.com or just look up anything with Lenora Claire. You'll, you'll find me. I'm everywhere. And, and I really do. I get on the I get on the phone with like literally everybody who calls me. So if you just need to talk about it, like I'm I'm here for people. That's amazing. That's amazing and so necessary because at the end of the day, I think some people just need to talk to someone, mm-hmm. you know, and and have someone who knows what they're going through. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Reckoning is a podcast produced by Garbo, a tech nonprofit building a new kind of online background check. Our executive producer is Amani Nichols with Whisper and Mutter. Please subscribe to the show via your favorite podcast app. And as always, please send your questions and comments to hello at garbo.io.